0: Hello and welcome to this edition of the Stockhead Explorers. Uh, I'm Peter Strachan and today we'll be revisiting the story of VRX Silica with uh, Bruce Malouish Welcome to the podcast, Bruce. Thanks, Peter. Uh, Bruce, uh, we've had uh, quite a bit uh, of news from VRX over the last month or two. Uh, Barry Fitzgerald uh, took us through a pretty detailed uh, description of your uh, projects at Aerosmith and Moucher, right? And the the projects uh, we've looked at uh, th- through the uh, the process, we've looked at all of the um, multiple uses that silica finds from different qualities, from anything from cement sand up to high quality, uh, you know glasses and uh, and uh, powders and so forth. So I thought we might explore some of these high-tech uses down the track. But first, uh, the way we left it with uh, Barry, um, Bruce, was that the company had uh, achieved uh, traditional owner native title approvals for the process and was just moving into the environmental approvals uh, for the Arrowsmith uh, project. Can you tell me what the process is there in terms of uh, what, what's now required from the company and what sort of time frame we can expect uh, for those approvals?
1: Yes, Peter, um, there is a couple of conditions that are on these particular tenements. When we selected these tenements, they were uh selected on three criteria one it had to be in the right geology so it had to have the right sort of sand it had to be next to a railway line because these are ultimately a bulk export commodity but it also in this case we selected tenements that were on vacant crown land or sometimes referred to as unallocated crown land uh, in that case, the only stakeholders, are the native title claimants over that particular area and the state. Now we have to deal with both of those stakeholders. The native title claimants um, are addressed by putting in a mining agreement. Now we've agreed to the terms and have signed the agreement for Muche um, and uh, we're just finalizing the agreement now in fact there's a meeting today uh, with the native title claimants working group to ratify the latest agreement uh, in fact we've negotiated with uh, the working party group muse um, is a little bit more complex because a couple of the claimants were deceased so the process from there it has to be ratified by the native title tribunal Uh, and we've had the mediation meetings with the tribunal and we're waiting on the members' ruling. Uh, We expect that this month, in fact, we've been advised by them that it will be this month, and then it gets forwarded to Department of uh, Mining Industry Regulation and Safety, DMERS, for grant of the the mining lease. Arrowsmith, uh, once the uh, agreement is signed, at the moment, all of the claimants are available to sign the agreement, and they also sign what's called a state deed. And the state deed actually goes to Demers for grant of that tenement as well. And
0: what's the time frame on that? Uh,
1: probably, we would have both the agreement signed and forwarded to Demers this month, in April, and they should it should only take another two or three weeks after that to be granted. Excellent, um, and that's that's supposing that the government is still operating as they should be operating. It's a little bit difficult to predict that in this environment. However, we have been assured by the department that they will uh, be operating uh, you know, business as usual. So, Bruce, uh,
0: you've uh, done some feasibility work on the uh, project, uh, looking at a, a cash cost of about thirty-four dollars a tonne for producing a uh, saleable product. And I understand the sale price in Australian dollar terms would be about $80 a tonne, you know, plus or minus, depending on the quality and, and the end user. Is that the sort of numbers that we're looking at? Uh, more
1: like $60 in uh, oh, sort of 50 to $60 in, at Arrowsmith and uh, 60 to $80 for Mucho. Muche itself is a higher grade deposit, um, a little bit more complex in getting the approvals there, but uh, it's a high, very high grade uh, sand deposit. In fact, it is one of a handful of deposits of that size and that grade in the whole world. Um, and it's really uh, hasn't been exploited to date because there's been ample supplies in Asia, but in recent years, those suppliers have tightened up and the price has increased adequately to cover the cost of shipping from Australia.
0: So, Bruce, uh, you've uh, spoken about the uh, uh, efforts that you've been making with potential offtake partners and you've got several dozen of those uh, talking to you about uh, the product and and uh, how much or whether they would like to uh, to do anything there. I suppose we won't hear any more from that end of it until you've actually got the final approvals and you're ready to start digging. Is that the way you'd see the uh, negotiations proceeding?
1: We expect to put in a couple of offtake agreements uh, prior to the grant of the tenement, but they will be subject to uh, the grant of the mining mining, uh, uh, permit. Um, yes, we've got now forty-seven companies have expressed an interest to uh, to buy uh, sand products, and they range from sort of you know five ten thousand tons a month up to a hundred thousand tons a month, and the type of uses range from um, glass containers, flat glass. And uh, what a big surprising one that we've come across now is engineered stone. Now, you look at the cladding on buildings around in the CBD and uh, that stone you see is not cut from granite, it's actually a manufactured stone. And they're the ones, they're the bits and pieces that are now replacing all those flammable panels on, on buildings. And it's a surprisingly large business. And the company we're talking to produces about 15% of the world's engineered stone. And they want to, uh, you know, initially sort of half a million tons a year, but ultimately up to 3 million tons per year of different types of sand to make different types of, of engineered stone. It's a surprisingly uh, large business. And uh, and frankly, we were unaware of this company until a couple of months ago.
0: So, Bruce, uh, you've now uh, got those potentials underway. I think your initial plan is to build to uh, two million tons per annum, and I think your uh, early estimates on a net present value for the project seven
1: hundred and seventy million dollars uh, NPV at a ten percent discount, and that that was in fact at a seventy percent uh, seventy cent exchange rate, uh, which is a little bit better at the moment. We expect it to get back to 70 cents. Um, yeah, no, it's a, it's, that's from, you know, combined three projects. And it'll take a while to get all three up and running. They're very simple plants are a small footprint. They're easily made. Uh, there's terrific uh, engineering expertise here in WA because it's most of the mineral sands uh, engineering companies are capable of building this plant which is well represented
0: here in uh, in WA. So, Bruce, there's plenty of leverage there for the uh, upside, given the market cap has been sort of plus or minus 30 million over the last uh, a few months.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Um, there's a lot more upside. I guess the next couple of triggers will be the grant of the mining leases and uh, then the mining approvals, uh, uh, mining permit approvals, uh, which is a, a two-step process. And then there is um, uh, the offtake agreements. We're being very selective about who we might sign up at this point. We're in a, a quite a unique position where, because of the size of these resources, we can sign very long-term agreements to uh, to take our product. Um, and there's opportunities for those companies, and a few of them, we're talking to multi-billion-dollar companies. And there may be an opportunity for them to take a part of the, uh, the project as well. Not that we want to give up control. Uh,
0: no, but uh, Bruce, you ended the uh, year uh, with just over $3 million. Um, so, and you're going to need uh, some capital. So maybe uh, some of these off-take partners might come up, stump up some money uh, to help build the project we've had plenty of
1: offers but we're a little wary at the moment of the conditions under which they'll uh, yes. contribute so uh, the negotiations have been ongoing for most of this year of course most of it at the moment is by video conference which uh, saves a lot of money on air travel as it happens but only because we're restricted in uh, in travelling but we we're we're, uh, we're talking to companies weekly um, and we're considering all sorts of options for for offtake. Now we have a number of products. Our products from MuShay are different to the products we get from Arrowsmith. Arrowsmith is lower grade, and it will go into the container and flat glass market mainly. But as it and now we're uh, considering the engineered stone market, but also uh, the foundry market in uh, particularly Korea. Uh, and maybe ultimately into China as well. The foundry market is a different market to the glass market. It's, the stand specifications are not about the mineralogy, but in fact about the grain size and shape.
0: Yeah. So it's a
1: completely different market. However, fortunately, Smith absolutely fits the bill.
0: And it's a lower
1: value? No, it's about the same value. It's about the same dollar value as uh, a
0: as, uh, container glass market. Fantastic. So um, uh, Bruce, what I really was keen to explore with you today was the, it occurred to me that the Perth Basin has seen some massive changes, uh, in the sort of business environment in the last two years with the discovery of something of a, in the order of two trillion cubic feet of gas by Origin and, um, more recently Strike and Orogo at various deposits there. Low, high, high volume gas, uh, which would be, uh, very low cost to produce. And it, and because the downstream, uh, processing of silica can be quite energy intensive. This, I would have thought, represents a fantastic opportunity for not necessarily VRX directly, but also to go into partnership or to, to encourage uh, downstream partners to come in to the Perth Basin and use that low-cost energy uh, to value add to the silica product. What sort of products are, are in the wings there for, this, uh, for your silica? There are
1: many, many products and in fact this is part of the reason why our negotiations for offtake are protracted at the moment because we are discussing those downstream options. Now there are fewer options for Aerosmith but you know we're talking to the gas suppliers that are keen to get gas into Okergy. Uh, that could be a while down the track but there's certainly opportunity there to to produce some glass products uh, out of Okergy. Um But I guess the advantage for Aerosmith is the weightier gas field is right next to the project. In fact, I'd I expect the actual gas field goes under the project. And one of the main gas producing wells which is hooked into the gas pipeline now is is easily accessible by the project. Um, and what we would like to do is get gas from that project before it's compressed uh into the pipeline. Um, our our power requirements aren't particularly high. It's sort of like eight meg per plant. So It it produces a number of options, but it is hard to justify a decompression station on the gas pipeline, but it uh, certainly lends itself to solar power Um, and we're looking at um, some freehold land where we can put a solar farm. Um, And the the biggest advantage there, of course, is that the plant will be where it is for more than 50 years. So wherever the capital is spent for a solar farm can stay there for a long time.
0: The downstream processing, Bruce, would uh, uh, involve uh, a lot more energy than that and would be producing glass or some other high-tech product. Now, I'm just wondering, because there's not a lot of local uh, market for those products in Western Australia, Uh, These products would have to be exported through the port of Geraldton or or whatever. But really, uh, you know, most of the glass we get in Australia now seems to come from Asia anyway. So these products are highly uh, transportable, I would have thought. So it doesn't really matter whether you're producing them at Geraldton or, you know, in an industrial hub in China somewhere. Um, It's the cost of the, the production, the cost of the raw materials and the cost of the energy that goes into it.
1: Absolutely. Um, And in fact, that's where uh, MUSHA is in a different position than Aerosmith. Aerosmith's got the potential to get its power supply from gas. However, MUSHA has the opportunity for downstream processing because it is a higher grade product. And if you can produce higher grade, uh, uh, you know, uh, downstream processed products, that they are higher value, you can justify the cost of exporting them back to Asia. You're right, the domestic market is not very big. Bruce, are these like silica powder or what
0: sort of products are we talking about? All sorts of
1: products, particularly number one would be ultra clear glass, particularly the glass that goes over solar panels. Now, most the 10 largest producers of that type of glass are all Chinese. A couple of them run glass plants in Malaysia, Um, but they're the biggest producers and most of the world's solar panels are actually produced in China. Now, producing uh, ultra-clear glass is... One, there's no expertise or IP here in Australia. So not only do we have to import the capital to build a glass plant, but we'll probably have to import the IP as well. Now, a couple of the glass manufacturers in China have uh, very tightly held IP around producing very high-tech glass for solar panels. You imagine, you know, making a, a three-millimeter sheet of glass that could withstand hail. So it is actually very high-tech, and there's definitely the opportunity down here because 85 percent of the cost of producing that glass is energy. There, there are a, n- a number of other glass. Uh, sorry, silica sand products that can be made Uh, you know uh, silica sand flour is widely used uh, for making LCDs, LEDs uh, as additions to paint Um, and uh, there are a couple of companies here in WA who do export currently to to companies to make silica flour which then go on to make uh, LCDs but there are many,
0: many other products. Bruce, I think in a post-COVID-19 environment, uh, people might be more interested in decentralising their source of supply and not being so reliant on one supplier uh, because we've seen what's happened over the last three months in many areas. So I think that, that's likely to open up a lot of opportunity for VRX. Absolutely, but ultimately
1: the market for uh, for just glass, for example, ultra clear glass, um, you have to value add quite a bit because you know the shipping cost from Australia is still very expensive compared to moving products around in Asia. Yeah. So we have to try and aim for the top end. Now, fortunately, MuShade does lend itself to aiming. the top end for not just ultra clear glass and and silica flour but also to upgrade the quality Uh, we can quite easily with sort of a non-chemical process get to 99.9 percent which is three nines but if we can get it up to and use uh, chlorine washing or acid washing and get four nines five nines you're entering a completely different market once again uh, you move into electronics, lower tonnage, but substantially higher value.
0: Yeah, you're adding value. Uh,
1: you get the you get the five nines. You're talking. You're talking 1500 US dollars a tonne at five nines.
0: Ah, so that's our target down the track. So, Bruce, thank you very much again for updating us all on the progress. And uh, we'll look forward uh, to news as uh, the company uh, begins to sign conditional offtake agreements and as you move through the uh, approvals process uh, towards actually. Uh, picking up a shovel and and starting uh, to develop the project so thanks once again for coming uh, on the explorers uh, podcast
1: thank you peter and uh, we're getting closer every day to uh, ticking uh, those boxes as well thanks for your time